Hello everybody at Hint. It's my great pleasure to be with you today in beautiful Lisbon, albeit virtually in beautiful Portugal. A great pleasure to be back with uh, this event. And thanks again for asking me. We're going to have a conversation later. Uh, and I really look forward to taking that into the topics that I want to discuss. And basically the future, right? This is a big topic. There will be opportunities, there will be challenges. But here's my thing. I think the future tends to be better than we think. Because we think of the future as of course, unknown, which it is, <laughs> but also as potentially dangerous or overwhelming. But let me tell you what the future entails and why there is hope now. I mean, uh, when we talk about hope, we have to think about this. Right? We're living in the age of COVID, the last year, 2020. We're on a corona coaster, right? We're going up and down in emotions. We're up and down in, in, in focusing. We're going up and down in uncertainty. It, it seems like life has never been less uncertain more uncertain than today. Right? I mean, it's like uh, everything is up for questioning and seems to change, everybody seems to change their mind on new regulations and how can we see into the future now? This is really important that we understand that we're not going back to normal. We're not going back to a place that was before COVID. Right? The world has changed irreparably. And in many ways, that's a good thing. And I'll tell you why that's a good thing. Uh, the world is kind of upside down. Right? Things that used to be important, you know, flying and cruise ships and uh, and money and Bitcoin and you know, then a lot less important now. It's important to survive, to collaborate, uh, to figure out what to do next, to pivot, to reinvent, uh, to have stimulus for the future. I mean, the normal is ending. The normal is over. Right? And I think again, that's a good thing. And I think the challenge for us is to say, well. What does a new normal look like and, and which part of that normal is actually my normal? Because everybody is different in every country, in every part of the world. Here's a great slideshow from CNN about the new normal. This is how we eat now, right? This is how we do yoga. If you do yoga, this is how we watch movies in parking lots now. This is how we hug safely. Uh, this is how we behave in elevators, right? the new normal. And of course, uh, this is how we work from home and this is how we do uh, how we visit the doctor now remotely in telepresence and telehealth. And this is what the European Commission does now. They give us a stimulus package. And it's been paid to Italy and Spain and Portugal and Greece, exactly the opposite of what was said last year. The new normal is different than the past. And I am here with my new normal speaking virtually, not actually going to locations. And this is what we do Zoom on Zoom, of course, with our pets. Now, just kidding. But basically what's happening here is that we're seeing deep and global paradigm shifts. And this is the way that we're thinking. Right? It's, it's like the, the world globe has been turned upside down from what used to be important. You know, that is was on the top. It's now dropping to the bottom again, flying and cruise ships and, and international vacations. And, and now we have different priorities, right? We have priorities of health. That is a very big one. Of technology, of doing things remotely, of being happy with the state of figuring out solutions, of collaborating. And of course, some, of, some people are using those priorities to do things that aren't so good and creating dictatorship uh, based on technology or completely ignoring what could be done with healthcare and not coming up with solutions. Right? I call this sometimes the great transformation. Well, not sometimes, I call it the great transformation a lot because it's really important that we think of this as an opportunity. This is not the Great Depression. 
it may have as much impact in terms of economics. I mean, especially in Portugal, right? Numbers are are, are looking pretty hefty right now, and and the second wave of uh, not just Corona but also of the recession is coming. So, you know, it's an L-shaped recession, down, 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 staying down. We don't know for how long. I would estimate the end of next year, twenty one. Many people say Europe beginning of twenty two. Right? Things are changing, and we have to figure out how can we apply this to our reality. And here's the result of this current crisis, right? and this is taken with a grain of salt and a bit of humor, right? Big tech everywhere, right? Next thing, of course, big health. The vaccine, treatments, all kinds of things that we're inventing, international collaboration, believe in science is back. Healthcare is going to get trillions of euros in new funding, biotechnology, genetic engineering, CRISPR-Cas9, you name it, it's all part of that solution. Money is floating there. Big state, parenthesis, means the state is doing many things that, that they weren't supposed to do before, like mingling in our daily behavior and, and paying us a, a basic income so we can stay on our jobs. And governments are looking at, at you know, what we wear and how we interact. And you know, I, I think generally speaking, big state is not always a good solution, but we're seeing this right now as a standard thing happening, especially around Europe. And it's really important to trust the state and to, and to also get politicians to repeat that trust, right? And to, to, uh, to mirror it back to us. Like, you can see in the countries where trust hasn't worked, US, Brazil, South Africa, maybe UK, things are not looking up very well. In countries that have trust in the government, and Portugal is one of those, and Switzerland, where I live, you know, things are getting better, and we're, we're collaborating, and we're sticking with the rules. Right? <laughs> so that's very important. And the last one is Big Green. Believe it or not, this, has, this will have huge impact on healthcare. Because we're going towards a future where it's going to be more important to have more of a holistic view of the world, people, planet, prosperity, purpose, right? not just GDP. We're going to go be beyond GDP as, a, uh, as an understanding. And many companies in Portugal have already done this, including one of my clients that was just at BA Glass um, just a few weeks ago, of course, virtually. And, and thinking of, about their sustainability approach, all of those things. So Big Green is really, really an important thing that I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, right now, I'll give you some stats. You know, basically what's happening is consumers have seen changes in every part of their lives. Uh, I mean, literally every part. In just the last six months, work, shopping, consumption, learning, communications, playing, entertainment. Not all of that is good, of course, right? because now you know we're looking at things like Netflix addiction and isolation coming from working from home. It's not all good, but we have changed ways. I think there is three years worth of digital transformation in the past six months. I think Satya Nadella from Microsoft said uh, three years of transformation in three months. Well, now I think it's more like six months, but we have changed the way that we do almost everything. Some of that will come back in different ways, but many things will stick, and we're going to apply what we've learned. We're going to apply that we can work from home. We're going to apply that we can do telehealth. That's going to change our society. And societies like Portugal and, again, Switzerland are not that easy to change. You know, we have a lot of tradition. Uh, we have a lot of things that we value. So that's going to be a process, I think, of that transformation coming through, and especially for older people and for people who are uh, not uh, really uh, rich enough to buy fancy devices yet. So the digital divide, I'll talk more about that later as well. But what we have to do in this post-corona or with corona future, we have to learn how to turn around, to pivot. And it's nothing more important than pivoting in healthcare because many things in healthcare haven't worked. 
uh, whether it's a pharma industry in so many ways, or taking care of elderly, or of course public health care, and so on and so on and so on, right? We have to pivot, find new ways to go. Well, pivot means turning around on a dime, coming up with a new idea. Right? And, and clearly, uh, here's some examples of pivoting, right? So now concerts are happening in the car. Yeah, of course, I don't think this is happening in Portugal, but Denmark, for example, or the US, right? You have uh, now hotels who are opening up their rooms for work situations, right? So that you can work from there rather than working from home. You have airlines who are thinking about this Italian company making seats to stack them on top of each other, like in the youth hostel, but for economy class, right, to keep the distance. The Tour de France is virtual. It was a great success, right? And I think clearly this is a challenge and an opportunity because, you know, we, we are looking at these waves in succession. Right? Public health, first big wave. Huge opportunity, huge challenge, will require huge funding, but we are getting there and this is going to be our measuring stick for the future. Right along with that, climate change, right? The situation, it's, that was really quite clear before this COVID crisis, but, but now we're saying, okay, climate change, we will have to adapt in a very similar way that we have adapted here for COVID and do things that we may not like doing and, and, and do things that require common sense and, and also sacrifices from us. And out of that, we're going to come up with a new economic logic. That's roughly 10 years away. Uh, that's already happening, shareholder value valuing more than GDP, but that's going to be a 10-year process. So we can get ready for this. It's a huge opportunity, but let's talk about what's happening in healthcare and technology. This is a very exciting topic uh, for me. I'm almost 60 years old now, so I'm looking at what I can do with technology to support my health, and I think this is a really, really important topic, the convergence of healthcare and technology. It's warp drive, right? Uh, you've seen the movie Star Trek and all the TV shows. I mean, we're, we're, we're hitting the button and we're basically going off into huge acceleration on two big things, big tech and big health. And they're accelerating together. You can see the tech companies becoming healthcare companies, like, like Google's, uh, uh, Verily and others that, you know, that have all of these new angles from coming from technology. And, you know, of course, the big pharma companies have invested in companies like Genentech and Human Longevity Inc., which are essentially software technology, DNA, uh, and, and, and analytics companies. But, you know, we're going to a future where we're facing the largest transformation uh, of, of our society in human history. Whether it's robotics or genome sequencing or blockchain or, you know, some of those things are further away than others and other ones are kind of born upon, dead upon arrival and other ones never materialize. <laughs> but clearly, I mean, these are all happening at the same time. We have never had this. Yeah? I mean, you know, we had big achievements with the steam engine uh, and electricity and the internet, but now it's all happening at the same time. And, and healthcare is right in the middle of this, right? Whether it's about en using energy, about whether it's about having enough battery life for mobile devices, whether it's about artificial intelligence. Very exciting times. I think the next decade will bring more change than the previous 100 years. And quite clear, you know, it, it is sort of this gradually then suddenly thing, you know, it's 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 exponential, so it's it's growing very slowly at first, right? Like you can see this curve kind of starting at four, and then it just goes crazy. And 30x up the scale, it's uh, you know it's one billion. So clearly, gradually, then suddenly, it's the principle of technology and technological change. That means the kids of our kids will live in a world that is virtually undescribable. Now, my kids, 
you know, which are millennials, they're going to live in a world that is 20 years from now. I, I would take two hours to describe all the things that, that I think will be happening in 20 years, as opposed to 20 years ago, the difference is much larger. It's up the scale, right? Eight billion people on the internet at whatever 10G speed, mobile devices, artificial intelligence, augmented reality. Again, it could be heaven or it could be hell, right? But I think the future is better than we think. I think we need to think about what we want from this future. Right? from these things that we're seeing around us, and I call this the future principles. So if you want to print out one slide, or well, if you could bring a slide from this, but uh, then use this, right? Exponential change, convergent industries, technology and biology, right? communications, IT, telecom, converging with biotechnology, and combinatorial products, like the, the uh, telepresence. Uh, and telehealth and uh, personalized medicine, you know, the combinatorial power of these mind-boggling opportunities and changes and many also ethical changes, you know, how we approach this. So, for example, what's happening as a part of the result of this whole conversation is that healthcare is moving into the center, like the last six months with COVID, healthcare and being healthy generally has exploded. I mean, not just yoga classes, online stuff, but also buying food, changing our diet, right? Here's something very important. Uh, it's, it's to keep in mind what's happening there. You know, it's that all of a sudden we are looking at the possibility of artificial meat, you know, chicken grown from cells and labs. I mean, it sounds like a crazy idea, right? but this is happening. Bill Gates has invested, Richard Branson has invested, and we have to assume that we can do new things and maybe in 10 years, this kind of meat, parenthesis, will be one-tenth of real meat and certainly not polluting the atmosphere and also maybe keeping our bodies healthier. So great opportunity, I think, there. In terms of technology, this is a scariest slide, actually. We're going to move roughly at 2050 into a world where computers will have a similar capacity in terms of intelligence than humans, but of course, human intelligence is like you know, a dozen different things, emotional, social, musical, of course, machines will not have all of that, right? but they will be able to do things that makes us think like they're kind of like us. You know? That's not happening today, it's happening around 2050, and that's basically where we're moving fast. We have to think about how we can control that technology and how can we can remain human without becoming machines, like as Elon Musk has suggested, with this new product called the Neuralink. Right? So this could be amazing, or it could be not so amazing. It could be heaven or hell. We must decide. The future is not something that just happens to us, that just falls down from us, on us from the sky. It's a future that we make. And I think, we, especially here in Europe, we have to understand that we are not subject to the future from America, or from Silicon Valley or China. We're making it here with our research and our economics in our everyday move. Right? And it's really important to realize when we look at the future, things like this, which is three years old, right, may very well become the new normal. This is the artificial intelligent customer service agent from Amelia Credit Suisse. I am Amelia, and I work for the global service desk at Credit Suisse. I help employees. Yeah, you probably have seen this before, but uh, imagine this for healthcare, right? things like this. Claims routines, evaluation routines, administration, case management, 
I think for the really simple stuff, this is going to happen. This is, this is part of our future. Will they take our jobs? I don't think so. I think this is routine work, and we've always outsourced routine work to software and machines like in factories. We used to be 90% working in agriculture, and now it's 2%, and we, we found new jobs, we found new possibilities. But we're going to need some help on this, clear, as the next 10 years are approaching in vast uh, stages here. So these are the 10 things you need to know about. I call them the game changers. And they're going to impact healthcare and every piece of healthcare, whether it's, it's research and R&D or inventing new pharma products or, or, or what doctors do. Right? It's all of those things happening, these game changers that you can find on the internet if you look for GERD game changers. But you know, clearly data, right? The more data, the better we can do our job. Uh, and our DNA will go into the cloud once we figure out how to keep it private and secure. The Internet of Everything, wristwatches, devices, tracking, monitoring, extremely helpful but also very scary. Supercomputing, basically unlimited computing power. Machines that we can speak to, natural language processing, and intelligent devices. I call this smart everything. That's much more accurate than artificial intelligence. They're neither artificial nor are they intelligent, th these robots and devices. They're just smart, right? They're things that we can give them. I'll talk more about that later. The blockchain, not a big topic for me right now. 3D printing, nanotechnology, new materials. Now we're going to have mobile devices that don't use cobalt. They don't have to go to the, we don't have to go to the mines to, to bring in uh, uh, the minerals for the batteries. You know, that's, that's going to be over in 10 years. We're going to live in a world where augmented reality will give us access to seeing things, unlimited things, potentially very confusing. Again, I'll talk about that later. And of course, the last one is a really big one, human genome editing, changing our genome to avoid diseases, not to heal diseases, but also for analytics. I mean, this is a yeah, mind-boggling future. So these 10 game changers, I quite clearly as the song goes, Bachman Turner Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. We're just at the beginning of this and you got to get ready for this ride and understand what it means. And again, if, if you're in the business of healthcare or offering healthcare products or a practitioner in healthcare, you have to understand what's coming so you, you can get used to a thought of changing. Right? I think the biggest change, uh, the biggest challenge here is that sometimes we're just afraid to look and then we don't look and then it just comes anyway. Right? We, we need to develop foresight. I think every CEO needs to develop foresight. Every person in the company needs to get along with their program. And certainly every politician and public official needs to have sort of a driver's license for the future. They need to know what's coming. And, and we have to ask them, do they know that? And can they help us find that future and become the best possible that we can become? I mean, this future is ultra-connected at high speed. That brings lots of blessings, but you know, connectivity in, in itself is just a tool. It doesn't solve anything. I mean, look at social media. It's, it made things worse, not better. All right, so just being connected, yeah, that's coming. But here's a great quote from Daniel Kraft, Singularity Universities. He says, we have the opportunity to connect the dots, to move beyond delivering reactive care, right? and, and do it after we have an issue. We think of ever-present analytics-enabled, real-time, individualized attention, right? not just to treat disease, but also to prevent it using data. That is clearly coming. 
Uh, and I think we need to be careful, of course, with who's in charge of that data, <laughs> and is there is there public support for our safety and security? That's going to be the number one issue, and not whether we can do it, but how we'll do it. The world is going to be going into a smart converter. Everything that we know is going to become smart. We're going to go into the future where these things are happening to every part, whether it's a smart city or smart farming, smart food. That clearly has a big a lot to do with uh, with uh, healthcare, of course. Smart retail, smart. I mean, basically, this is a world where smart everything is with us, right? Uh, connected, cloud, smart everything, remote anything. That is coming. At the same time, I don't believe we're going to skip personal contact. We're not going to stay at home because we can watch each other on television, so to speak, or on Zoom or whatever magic device we have in the future. We're going to keep craving for actual human connections, and we're going to talk to each other just like we did before. The more we are virtual, the more we want to be real. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to make a dent into this, but it will, it will bring down the prices of health of healthcare, right? of insurance, of hospitals. Well, it may reduce doctors' uh, uh, visits by ninety percent. I don't, I don't know if it's always a good thing because a doctor's visit is also a social visit, right? So that's something we have to think about and, and th something we have to consider. Great map here from my friend Bertalan, who is the medical futurist, about all the stuff that's already happening. And here's the, uh, uh, the yellow spots here already in progress. You can download that, that slide from his website, medicalfuturist.com. But mind-boggling changes are coming. There's another one to print, right? And let's get familiar with those. Let's embrace them and let's say yes or let's say no if we feel worried about them. But let's put them onto our mental roadmap. Right? Ten disruptive technologies, great uh, chart here by PricewaterhouseCoopers. Right? Really obvious things, less invasive diagnostics, pace and face in mobile apps, remote censoring. I mean, this is all, I would say, nuts and bolts. This is not, this is not like going to the moon. Right? I mean, these are things that we need. And they will also all reduce the cost of healthcare. I mean, we're going to be in a situation where we have surgical robot tools. It's going to cost a fraction. Um, and of course, we need to make sure that everybody in the population has access, not the ones who just have uh, enough money to pay for certain uh, uh, methods of doing this, but that it becomes a universal right to have access to these digital platforms. And that is going to be crucial. When we talk about artificial intelligence, one thing that's happening that really gets me excited is that I think we can also get a handle on inventing new R&D and new uh, ways of inventing medication right, and drug discovery by doing virtual experiments. And that has never really worked before, but now it's starting to work with machine learning and deep learning. And, and that should be a real blessing, even though I would caution and say we should not confuse a clear view with a short distance when it's about artificial intelligence helping us. I mean, clearly we have a long way to go with that intelligence. It's just a crutch for us. It's a, you know, something that we can use. But our jobs are changing as well. Eh? And potential uh, healthcare drivers here really, I mean, it's, again, the list before already said it. It's our jobs are impacted by all of those things. They're, they're going to change because we have robot-assisted surgery or virtual nursing assistants. But will they make us useless? Will we be useless humans because of this technology? I don't think so. There's so many things that we can do apart from having to do the routine, like filling out a form or doing research or connecting files on the internet or doing claim forms. We can do a lot more useful things. We can move up the food chain, the Maslow needs pyramid. Right? So when you think about artificial intelligence, 
just for now, do me a favor and just think about intelligent assistance, right? IA rather than AI, you know, about machines that help us do our work. And this is really right now what we're doing. And that's probably going to be the, that case for at least 10 years until we have more general intelligent AI. Going back to the jobs for a second, right? Uh, there's some bad news and there's some good news. The bad news is that if your job is a lot of routine, like manufacturing, public administration, financial insurance, there will be less jobs because they're more routine. But in your industry, you're on the top of the growth market, right? Healthcare, scientific, technical communications, right? Good news there. It really means that the jobs that are human only, that humans have to do because they are not totally routine, are going to grow. And so what if less people work in factories, right? If we can find other jobs for them, this will be a giant change where government really has to reach into their pockets and train us. And, and we shouldn't make a mistake of saying that if we all study science and technology, engineering, that we're going to live in this world greatly. I, I think that's not true. I think we need to also study hecky, right? humanities, ethics, creativity, imagination. And the more human our kids will be, the more human skills they have, the more they're going to work. And they have to have scientific technical skills, of course. Best, of course, if we can have both. So here's a company called Human Longevity Inc., owned now by Genentech, which is owned by Rock, Roche, uh, that turns data into health information, not just the DNA, but also the microbiome and the physical scans and what's called the phenotypes and all that. And that's an $11,000 scan. Right. Basically, with that, you can figure out many, many things about yourself. Right? Uh, and I think it's extremely powerful. It's obviously in the beginning of things, but data, right? This is what drives it. Technology, biology are going to converge. And we have to understand what that means. We have to be ready with laws and ethics and social contracts and, and uh, you know, the, the, uh, the code of conduct. You know? uh, and all of the things that we talk about in the past are becoming shifted in a new way. I mean, thinking about things like diagnostics and analytics, you know, that's was done person to person, but now not so much in the lab anymore in the future, but in the cloud, cloud biology is coming. And should that scare us? Yes, well, if it's done badly, of course. <laughs> but this is kind of like electric cars or self-driving cars, you know, they're coming and they're going to do great things, but we have to make sure they do the right things. Right? When we talk about the cloud, everything moving to the cloud, our data, right? I mean, this is going to save, save millions of lives, if not tens of millions. It's going to create millions of new jobs uh, and it's going to prevent diseases that are currently unpreventable, kind of like maybe even diabetes, maybe cancer in 20 years. Right? I mean, clearly scientific issues abound here, right? But Here's the biggest issue for me. It's about user safety, data security, privacy, privacy protection, identity protection, trust. Am I going to trust a healthcare company, technology company that is a private entity like Facebook? Uh, am I going to trust Apple Health? Maybe more than Facebook or Google, but you know there has to be a public standard. You know? Just like we have a public standard for nuclear weapons. It's important that my DNA isn't given out to everybody on the cloud. It's, it's absolutely essential. Apple Watch is a great example. Now, they, now the Apple Watch 6 can measure your blood oxygen and very soon it can do any, a lot more things and very soon we're going to have a medical device from, from Apple. That's not an iPhone, but a freestanding device. Yeah, it's quite lively.
that's going to change our lives. I mean, it's many, many processes, you know, whether you're 15 or 60, but especially older people, you know, take people, you know, the baby boomers and above, you know, let's say also gen, uh, the silent generation, 45 to 75, are they going to use those devices? Absolutely. The price will come down, it'll become as normal as using a mobile phone. So, security, safety, governance, right? trust network, digital ID, this is what we need to protect ourselves from abusing that data. Imagine uh, if the healthcare data, data uh, the cloud was like Facebook. I mean, it would be a huge disaster. It's bad enough with Facebook. I, I left Facebook two years ago for that very reason. It's abusive and unethical what happens with our data there. We should not go in that direction when we talk about healthcare. Right? Well, but we're going into a digitizing world. We're going into a future where basically the digitization of healthcare changes everything. It's the entire ecosystem. R&D, marketing, delivery, everything. A very exciting time. It's kind of like the music business where I come from 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when we thought about music and the cloud. That was 1999, Napster, right? Now we have Spotify. It's reality. Right? Took 20 years. I think it's going to be faster here. Uh, for many reasons, it's not going to be as bad as the music industry. We're going down this road of the game changes that I've described before. And we're kind of cruising along a little bit like this, you know, not at very breakneck speed. And we're watching those and they're kind of nascent. Some of them are here like AI uh, and the blockchain has been talked about a lot and 3D printing, yeah, organs, earlobes, kneecaps. But now we're going faster into the future every week. And COVID is a giant accelerator. Right, has made everything faster. It's like stepping on the gas pedal, going to warp drive, and before you know it, it's boom, we're right there. Right? Our world will change more in the next 10 years than the previous 100 years. And that is not just a fancy way of putting it. It's not just a Twitter attack. I mean, something that we have to think about. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with our kids? You know, how are we going to fit into that future? And again, like I said earlier, COVID is an accelerator of that process, just like it has accelerated other not-so-good things like digital surveillance and tracing and, and also, of course, abusive uh, behavior in, 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 uh, in countries that are run by dictators and so on. But now we have huge digital changes, right? Remote working, e-commerce has exploded, telemedicine, it's like a giant jetpack, you know? Everything has been accelerated and COVID is that main accelerator behind the healthcare business and, and also forcing us to think about technology as part of healthcare and accelerating science and international collaboration. I mean, telemedicine, it's going to become the new normal. Yes, there are many things about it that are not that good yet, just like many things about Zoom are really bad or YouTube. <laughs> but we're going to learn how to live with this. We're going to make the best out of it and our habits will change. And, and, and this is also very positive because it will reduce the costs and this is something we urgently have to do. Right? Great video here by GE about what that future could look like. Uh, um, you can find it on, uh, on YouTube, but basically this kind of interactive way of dealing with technology um, and bringing all the data together and so on. That was a future vision I think three or four years ago, but it's kind of becoming real now. Right? Um, many ways you could say that science fiction is becoming science fact. And humans and machines are kind of converging. 
I've said many times before that is uh, potentially a good thing because we can address many urgent things that we need, like food and water and healthcare and, and transportation and so on. But as Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, said, technology can do great things, but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want anything. And that's so true. It's just technology is neutral until we use it. If we want to use technology correctly, and if we want to make sure it makes sense for all of us, we have to collaborate to make it so. It will not happen by itself because technology doesn't understand ethics. It doesn't have value and judgment. Right? Technology, in fact, is creeping in on every part of our life and, and, and pulling in like a magic uh, magnet. Right? All of the industries are becoming part of technology. Just look at the stock market the last couple of weeks, right? rallying on technology. Um, and this is something we have to deal with. Right? We have to make sure that technology is doing the right thing. And the right thing is not always about progress and about speed. Right? It's about respecting humanity, respecting society, respecting our tradition and respecting our future. Something we certainly don't want is this. Right? I call this the K-shaped recovery. You know, people on the upper 1%, people like me and others, yeah, they can afford to recover. But people on the lower part, they fall through the cracks because they don't have the funds you know, to take care of themselves in the same way. And we need to make sure that we keep social medicine on a very high level, that we don't have issues with the digital divide, right? that we have to close this gap between people when we talk about the digitization of healthcare. That's going to require public funding. It's going to require public programs. It's going to require collaboration. It's going to require a little bit more thinking than just the bottom line of revenues and growth and selling things at the maximum possible price. Right? So clearly, yeah, going into this digital age, we're going to need to collaborate. We're going to need to think further than we did 20 years ago when we said, okay, really what we want is sell lots of product. It cannot go this direction by itself. So let's talk about the ethics of technology, how we use technology in the right way. We're living in a truly mad world, especially now with the current crisis, where what I call the mega shifts in my book becomes a reality everywhere around us, whether it's transportation or jobs or work or healthcare. You can download that chapter, by the way, for free at megashifts.digital. Also in Portuguese, it's part of the offering on the website. But basically all these things around us, automation, cognification, you know, machines understanding it, disintermediation, taking out the middleman, digitizing, personalizing, uh, this is all part of our environment absolutely everywhere. And this is going to ramp up in the very, very near future. Right? So you can safely say that our world is defined by technology and driven by technology and pushed forward but we have to define it with our ethics by what we want. The key question with technology is not, does it work? How much does it cost? You know, what or if? The question is why and who? Who can we trust? And does it reflect our values? And when we think, of, think about automation, that is coming. Automation is going to be a bigger challenge to our jobs than globalization ever was, but there's an upside. There's an upside that we can move up the food chain Maybe in 10 years we don't need to work like we do now. That's the dream of civilization for some time. I believe in 10 years we may very well only work, in the traditional sense, three or four hours a day and get paid the same money, if we do this right. So when we think about technology and, of course, biotechnology and the convergence of humans and machines, 
there is a question of benefits and risks. You know, if you look on the top right of this quadrant, you know, clearly genetic engineering and changing the genome, that's very potentially powerful, but also potentially really, really negative consequences, as is the connection of the human with the machine, artificial intelligence and, and artificial general intelligence, and of course, and, and, and what's called thinking machines, right? I mean, clearly that is something we have to keep a very good eye on. This is why we need great politicians like we have in many countries, say New Zealand, Jacinda yeah, Ardern, Taiwan, uh, Finland, Norway, and Portugal isn't doing so bad in that regard either. Right? Basically, it's like this. The most promising future is for us not to postpone innovation, not to postpone, not to strangle science, not to hinder business, right? but not to dismiss the exponential risk of doing too much either, right? And by saying, okay, this is somebody else's problem, right? If we have an intelligent machine, somebody else will rein it in and govern it. Right? That is not the answer. We have to actually think of an inclusive, holistic business model. We have to think about digital ethics. I have proposed to institute digital ethics councils in many countries. Some of them have done it, like Denmark and Singapore and others. And I think, you know, having a, an ethics council in your business, you know, just in healthcare, that would be a very good start. And of course, maybe Lisbon could have an ethics council thinking about the future of technology and Portugal could have a digital ethics minister like uh, the Emirates have a minister of AI and a minister of happiness. I, I keep forgetting. <laughs> anyway, never mind the UAE. Let's, let's talk about what we can do here. Right? And when we look at what's been launched lately, this is the Infinite Office from Facebook. It's working with Oculus Rift, the virtual reality glass, and it looks amazing, like you can do your work literally in front of you. I think that could be absolutely amazing or it could be true hell because we don't know how we're going to react to it because we're, we're human, right? We're, we're, we want to connect with each other, right? It could be heaven or it could be hell. We have to make sure that it's mostly heaven. We have to probably also make sure that too much of a good thing, like virtuality, doesn't become a bad thing. It's kind of like alcohol or smoking or anything that's too good, too much, could easily be like this. I think we have to make sure that we guard technology in such a way. I think we really do need a Hippocratic Oath, not just for doctors and for healthcare practitioners, but for technologists. I want to make sure that they are there with the right intent, that they promise to, to, to respect what we need. Right? We're moving into a future which is kind of like the Vitruvian Man, Leonardo da Vinci, the Renaissance in the 1500s in Italy, right? where we are surrounded by all these possibilities. We have to define what we are, what we want, what we mean, how we fit in. And this is where, again, where the game changes come in, they're floating all around us, especially in healthcare. If you're a doctor, a healthcare service provider, or anybody in that domain, you're going to be confronted with this stuff every day, virtuality, data, artificial intelligence. And by the way, of course, that goes for women as well. Um, the Vitruvian woman. I actually call this the Neoluvian woman, which is kind of like the Vitruvian. Right? We have to think about how we're going to fit in with technology and how we're going to make technology fit us. We should not think of the world as only being about us, of course, but also about the world itself, right? people, planet, purpose. I think we're going to see a new human renaissance, the importance of human things. 
especially after COVID. Uh, the importance of solidarity and actual people and getting together. Right? Technology is just a tool. That's not the purpose of life. And even though it can be life-saving, of course, that doesn't mean it is life. You know, it's still a hammer is a hammer, and AI is a hammer. Right? So fancy hammer. Right? So let's be sure we think of it like this. The technology that we have is extremely powerful, but what we have is not technology. You know, humans aren't data. Humans aren't machines. We have things that only humans have, for the time being. You know, or maybe until 2050 or afterwards, but. Let's talk about that some other time. Purpose, curiosity, foresight, critical thinking, passion, imagination. Have you seen a passionate computer about anything? Computers are passionate about numbers and more data. Right? And this is really important. I mean, if we're going to be successful in our business, especially in healthcare, we need purpose, curiosity, foresight. You know? Purpose-driven companies do better, always, in every industry, especially now. Right? So this is the recipe of the future. Sentience, existence, that that's us, we exist. And, and sapience, wisdom, understanding. Now, this is what I think makes us humans on top of machines. That's where our future is, humans on top of machines and machines that are our tools, not the other way around. And this is something that I think we should think about when we talk about social media. Are we the content? Are we the tools of a social networks? Are we the ones that are being mined? We're going to the future like this. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, climate change because those are the waves, right? COVID, healthcare, climate change, new economic logic. So let's talk briefly about climate change because that's really part of the program here. You may have seen this on the internet, right? A uh, film about what happened September 9th in San Francisco, all the smoke coming down from the fires, filling San Francisco into a utopian landscape for a few days where everything was orange. I mean, apocalyptic in, in the most basic way. I used to live there. It's a fantastic place. Right? But let's be sure about this. COVID-19, the corona crisis, is a test run for climate change. Climate change is a thousand X of what we're going to see or what we are seeing with COVID. Right? And it's coming together. We have to be prepared. This is not just a bad thing. There's many, many, many new things that are happening out of the switch to renewable energy, respecting the planet, nature-driven investment. There are things that used to be uh, impossible to think, like climate tax, carbon tax. Right? They're becoming the new normal, and we shouldn't refuse them. Just like you probably need taxes to keep the too many tourists out of Lisbon, uh, a culture tax, uh, you probably need a carbon tax for flying, for meat, for using a diesel engine, for not using an electric car. Right? I mean, this is coming, and basically don't think for a minute that was unthinkable, that's going to stay that way. No, this is a new normal. And the things that used to be normal, they are gone. And new normals are happening, but they're happening all at the same time. So it's very hard for us to think about how real is this is. You know, clearly, the circular economy, taking things, giving them back, not just recycling and things like that, right? but also in a, in a financial way, giving back uh, in a collaborative, collective way, the circular economy will be the only economy in 2030. If you're not in the circular program, you will not be successful in 2030. You will face your demise. The oil companies are seeing this. Uh, the technology companies are seeing this. This is a national-wide discussion. The Green New Deal in Europe and the changes that we're going to see next year in the US. Long story, switching to the circular economy. That's what it's all about. We're moving into the future. That not, that's not just the tech stuff, you know, exponential 
convergent, but it's also the things that we need as humans. Right? Holistic business models, circular economy, an emphasis on human benefit, not focus on human only, but the planet. Right? Uh, I think in healthcare, this is the formula. Right? Three things technology, three things humanity. If we can bring those together, I think we'll be extremely successful. We'll have the right agenda. Let me bring some final thoughts. Okay? First, please stop asking this question. What will the future bring? There's no such thing. I'm not predicting the future. It cannot be predicted except for, you know, 500 years ago from Leonardo da Vinci or maybe even from Alvin Toffler and people like that. But right now, this is not the question because the future is being created as we go very quickly. The future is a mindset. It's in, in here. Right? The real question is, what do we want our future to be? What kind of future do you want for your kids? What kind of future do you want for your company? It's not the future that we can have. In 20 years, mark my words, you're going to sit here and say, it can be anything. We can upload our brain to the internet, we can travel to Mars, we can do all these things. What do we want and why and who do we trust? This brings me to foresight. You want to be a thought leader? Uh, you want to move into a future where you know what's coming. Right? You want to get there before everybody else. And this is, of course, in healthcare, this is the opportunity right this year and next year with and after this crisis. Mark Benioff, brilliant guy, the CEO of Salesforce, right? he said, you need to get to the future ahead of your customers and be ready to greet them when they arrive. That's the recipe in healthcare. And do you know that future? Can you investigate it? You should spend one day, one hour a day on investigating the future, on things that aren't here already. This is part of our job now, investigating what might be, understanding what's coming, because that's how we develop intuition and imagination. And we have to be playful with this. We have to say, well, it doesn't have to make money today. We can play with this and investigate. We're going to use the Internet of Things, which is a very big deal in Portugal, and I hear especially on the Azores and places like this, and to find out what it does and to find new solutions. And I really do think that the future is better than we think. There's light at the end of the tunnel, at the end of this crisis, whenever that will be, a year, two years. There is light at the end of the tunnel because, as famous futurist Bucky Buckminster Fuller has said, technologically, human, humanity has the opportunity to operate the planet in such a way as to support and accommodate all humanity at a substantially more advanced standard. That was 1983. Yeah, he was ahead of his time, but that is so true now. We have all the tools we need to make this work. The only question is, do we have the will? Do we have the policy? Do we have the right leaders? Do we have the right mindset? I think the wave of COVID has also given us other waves. The wave of collaboration that we see across Europe. The solidarity that Northern European countries now have found for Southern European and Eastern European countries. The paradigm changes that are part of being discussed. The increased readiness to do what it takes. This is happening right now. That makes me hopeful for a very good future. Let me leave you with a final comment as far as the future is concerned. I think it's really all about this. We're going to shape the future or we're going to be shaped by it.